Good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Who's enjoying this awesome, beautiful, spring-like weather in February, no less, huh? Isn't that awesome? Josh, I think it looks like you maybe even got a sunburn. What's up with that? Huh? <laughs> everybody, I'm uh, Dave Westergaard. I am uh, one of the uh, elders at Rimrock Church, and uh, my family and I have been part of Rimrock for about the last 16 years, and uh, it is absolutely so awesome to be with you guys tonight, and uh, it's absolutely a pleasure. What an amazing time of praise and worship. Josh and Carrie, great job. How about a hand for them? They do a great job tonight. They always, they always do. Has anyone ever accused you of being different? A little bit different, maybe? I remember growing up as a teenager, my goal was not to be different. My goal was to blend in. My goal was to dress like my friends. My goal was to wear a hairstyle like my friends. I didn't want to be different from those around me. But as I've grown older, as I've maybe matured a little bit, I realize that it's okay to be different. It's all right to be a little bit different from those around you in this world, the people we interact with day to day. So think about, guys, Jesus was different, wasn't he? Jesus thought different. Jesus acted different. Jesus taught different in so many different ways. Different from how society, in many ways, lived their life in the times that Jesus walked this earth. He taught different, and now today, with the presence of his Holy Spirit in us, he empowers us to be different. He empowers us to look a little different from the world around us. And I think, guys, if your life, as you're living it, just kind of looks the same, you're just kind of blending into this world, I think you maybe need to think about a little bit some of your life decisions, With the cleansing blood of Jesus on the cross and his power inside of us, he has changed us. We are a new creation. The old has gone away and we are made new. This message, guys, is entitled, A Different Way. We're going to take a look at a section of scripture tonight where Jesus taught something different than how society in that day lived their life in so many respects. And in fact, Jesus is teaching something in this section today that's quite different from how many in this world live their life today. We are continuing on in our study in the book of Mark, all right? But before we go too much further, let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, we just come before you tonight and um, we just thank you. We thank you that you are empowering us moment by moment, Father God, in our life as we continue just to seek you as our source of life. Father, tonight, I pray that you open up hearts, open up hearts for what you have. And uh, I pray that through the shed blood of your son, Jesus. Amen. Tonight, guys, we're going to be taking a look at a section of scripture where Jesus is talking about his original view his original vision for marriage. And as part of that, though, we're also going to talk about Jesus' perspective on the concept of divorce. We're going to be continuing on in the book of Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. But before we go too much further into that, I just want to make sure we all understand, in this short window, in this 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it may be, there is absolutely no way to cover every aspect of Jesus' teaching on this matter, all right? I'm going to focus in on a couple of areas of Jesus' teaching. If there's something you hope that I'm going to cover tonight, if I don't, I apologize about that. If there's something that kind of stirs your heart a bit on this message, I'd love to visit with you afterwards. So, but I just want to start with that brief disclaimer. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 10. It's going to come up on the screen here. Sorry, it's kind of some small print for those of you in the back. I hope your vision is good. I will read it also. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Jesus command you? 
They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And she herself divorces her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Just to kind of set the stage here a bit, Jesus had spent a lot of his earthly ministry ministering in the area of Galilee, which is about 40 miles north of where he's at right now. He's traveling down, and this ends up to be his, his third journey into this area. All right, This is his final journey. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for his final act on this earth, his crucifixion. All right. So as he was traveling, as was common for him, people gathered. People had heard about Jesus. They'd heard about his teaching. And now they wanted to hear from him. And a crowd had gathered around him. And as Jesus did so many times, he taught them about life. He taught them about what he was planning to do for each and every one of them. He taught them in the areas where he knew that they needed to hear things the most. And as he was teaching, as he was teaching, guys, a group of Pharisees came up, started to walk through the crowd, and they came up to Jesus, and they had a purpose. The Pharisees had a purpose. Their desire was to trip Jesus up. Their desire was to catch Jesus in saying something that was maybe against local custom, possibly even against what the local Roman leaders were doing. The Pharisees' intentions here were to try to trick him. All right? Their motives were not pure. Their questions to him were just this. They wanted to know, is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife? Not whether it's right, not whether it's appropriate. They just wanted to know if what they were doing, guys, was lawful. And Jesus, in that whole process, realizes what they were doing. He realizes. He saw right through their motives. He knew exactly what they were doing. He knew what was going on in their lives at this time. Because in this time, divorce was a very common practice amongst the Pharisees, especially. Divorce was common because the Pharisees were primarily men, as you know, or were all men, excuse me, They had a very high view of marriage. They felt that by the age of 20, if they had not married yet, they were violating God's command of being fruitful and multiplying. So they had a very high view of marriage, but they had a low view of women. Isn't that crazy? You think about that. They saw great value in marriage, but saw very little value in the one that they're married to at this time. So divorce was very common. There were primarily two schools of thought amongst the Pharisees at this time. And both of those schools look back to Deuteronomy 24.1. This is where they hung their hat on Deuteronomy 24.1 in support that God allowed allowed divorce. And Deuteronomy 24.1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. There were primarily two schools of thought amongst the Pharisees at this time related to divorce. And both of these schools of thought attempted to interpret this term uncleanness. The first school led by a, a, a rabbi by the name of Shammai, believed that, that fornication or sexual sin was the only means to justify divorce. All right? That was a very conservative view amongst the Pharisees. Unfortunately, it was not a view that was practiced often. 
All right. The more liberal view, the one that was more widely held, was held by a, a, a rabbi of the name of Helio. And his perspective on this term uncleanness, guys, said that if a wife did anything that displeased her husband, that constituted legal grounds for divorce. Anything. Burning them the evening dinner. Talking harshly to him. Talking to a man that was not her relative, would be grounds for the husband, the pharisaical husband, to write up a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and put her out. All right? That was the widely held view amongst the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Jesus knew, again, that they were trying to trap him in this discussion. And as he did so many times, he simply turned the tables on them. He knew what they were trying to do. And, and Jesus answered them in verse 3. And he said, so what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? Going back to Deuteronomy 24.1. And they said Moses permitted it. Moses permitted divorce. No problems, no questions. Jesus said, he looked to the heart of the matter. He looked back to scripture and he said, no. This wasn't permission. This wasn't a commandment. Really, this was a concession. This was a concession because guess what? Your hearts were hard. You had hardness of heart. You wanted to do things your way. You wanted to do what you felt was right. So that's why Moses gave you this concession. Jesus looked through what they were trying to do and went back to the history of Deuteronomy 24.1. And in that process, guys, he also went back to the heart of the matter. All right? He went back to the heart of this whole matter. And that, that is in verse 6 where Jesus transitions from divorce to God's overriding vision of oneness in a marriage. All right. He didn't spend a lot of time debating the Pharisees. He didn't spend a lot of time telling them uh, they were wrong. What he did, he went back to God's original vision. He knew that debating them was really useless. It was going to do no good. So he goes back to God's original vision. In verse 6, if you can bring that back up, Jesus says, But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He goes back to the original vision in Genesis. The original vision that that God laid out for a man and a woman to be one. Let's go back to that. It's going to come up on your screen here behind me also. Genesis 2, beginning with verse 18, where it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper, suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, and this will sound familiar because we just talked about this in Mark 10, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They shall be married. Verse 18 notes that it's not good For man to be alone. God recognized that it was not good for man to be there by himself. He realized there was not a helper suitable for him. And this term helper, let's be careful with that. Let's go back to what that originally means in the original text. That doesn't mean what we think it means today. Helper is someone kind of like a servant. That's not what this means. Helper carries with it 
a sense of one that completes another. All right? Adam, by himself, was incomplete. Adam, by himself, was alone. He was incomplete. To address this incompleteness, God, in his amazing provision, God, in his amazing mercy, provided for Adam the one that would complete him. The one that would make him now complete. Verse 20 tells us there was not a suitable. In all the things that God had created before woman, there was nothing suitable for Adam. No question. So what God did, he fashioned into a woman the rib which he took from Adam. This term fashion, guys, is different than how God made Adam. This term fashioned carries with it, when you look at the original text, carries with it a a, a meaning of creating something of complete, beautiful form, something of great value, something that is highly valued, a beautiful being or thing, when you look at the original text. It's the same word that was used when God gave the instructions of making the holy temple or making the altar inside the temple. The same term that he used when he fashioned woman. But when he made man, man was formed. All right? Totally different context than the word fashioned. Formed is something kind of like a potter forms a clay pot. Something of value, something of great use. And to think about this, guys, I think this is so amazing. God, in his infinite wisdom, God, in his mercy, made both man and woman so completely different. He made us different. So different in how we interact with one another. So different in how we interact with the world. So different from how we look at things in this world. And in that process, in that process, guys, God then commands the man and the woman to be joined. You get that context of that, of that verb, to be joined? It's not something that the man and the woman do on their own. That's something God does. Two individuals, separate and distinct, God commands them to be one. And he does that joining. In that whole process, guys, Keep in mind, it's two individuals that were perfectly designed, designed differently. And in that process, God, in his amazing wisdom, combines them into one. A spouse designed for you of absolute amazing value. A spouse specifically put together before you even showed up at this earth. God had these plans in place for you, our loving Heavenly Father, a perfect gift picked out by God for you. If you're married today, do you look at your spouse that way? Do you look at your spouse as that perfect gift, the one that God designed specifically for you? If you're not married, are you waiting on that person? Are you waiting on that spouse that God has prepared for you? Or are you just trying to figure out, play the field, trying to determine, you know, who's out there, who who meets my characteristics and, and what I'm looking for? Are you waiting on God to provide that person? Today, so many times, this concept of oneness, God's original vision, going back to creation, has fallen away in favor of personal freedom to really do what we feel is right. We could talk about the number of divorces that happen in this world. We can talk about the divorces that happen in the church. We're not going to look at those numbers tonight. We all know what they are. But what is God's original vision? That's that those two individuals that he designed perfectly, he combined them as one. That's God's original vision. If we go around this room, and I'm certainly not going to ask for 
for a selection of hands. But I would bet divorce has touched nearly every single person here. Maybe you've walked through it. Maybe your parents divorced. Maybe a close friend has walked through those deep waters. It's painful. It's a challenging situation for all involved. Unfortunately, in today's society, though, many people believe it's, it's, a, it's a right that they're given just to end that marriage. You know, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Unfortunately, many times today, guys, we don't even ask that question. It's assumed that it's lawful. It's assumed that it's a lawful thing. So, so why, why should the church, I'm not just talking the building, I'm talking, I'm talking the church. You're the church. Why should the church be concerned about this? Why should we be preaching a message on divorce and marriage? We should be concerned about it because I believe God is greatly concerned about the incidence of divorce today. He's concerned about it because he understands the weight. He understands the pain, the impact that divorce has upon those that he loves. You. He knows the pain that you go through. And many of you could speak to that pain. He understands the sorrow associated with it. He understands how far-reaching those effects are upon others involved, children, parents, etc. That's why I believe the church should be concerned with divorce. Jesus, in verse 9, ends his public discussion here with the group and the Pharisees around. And he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is a bond that we talked about, that God fashioned, that God put together. Let's not lose sight of that fact. God put together this relationship. And and what's more, guys, God doesn't just command us to not separate, all right? That's not what he's saying here. God also empowers us through the presence of his Holy Spirit in the life of those that have professed their faith in what Jesus did on the cross, he empowers us to stay together. He doesn't just say and give this command, stay together, and let us figure out how to do it. Because guess what? If we're to figure that out, we're going to fail. If we're going to try to figure out this whole concept of oneness, we will fail in our flesh. Because at times... Marriage is tough. At times, it's not easy. At times, your feelings are screaming, maybe not verbally, but inside of you to say, there's got to be something better than what I'm going through. There's all types of emotions involved at times. There's anger. There's frustration. There's the emotion of boredom at times. There's the emotion that, guess what? This just doesn't feel right. If we're going to simply defer to our emotions, guys, it's going to be a tough road. This is going to be a challenging road, if not impossible to walk in our own flesh. But guess what? We don't have to. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have His living Spirit inside of us, empowering us to love our wife, men, as Jesus loved the church, empowering us moment by moment, even when our feelings are screaming out against it, to focus in on that oneness. It's not our deal to have to figure out. That's God's deal. Are we willing, though, to give Him that freedom to work in our lives? Are we willing to set aside those emotions that at times scream out? Are we willing... Instead, to say, God, this is your deal. I can't. I can't do this. Are we willing to get down on our knees and say, God, this is your marriage? 
You put it together. What's going on doesn't feel right. Whatever that may be. God knows. God understands what you're going through. God is empowering us as a man and a wife to focus in on that oneness. Verses 10 to 12, Jesus moves away from the public teaching to more of a quiet discussion inside the house with his, with his disciples. And they wanted a bit of clarification on Jesus' views. This section is unique to Mark's gospel. There's a very similar section in the book of Matthew, but Matthew doesn't discuss this. Verse 11 says, And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Jesus calls it adultery here since the divorce that he's talking about is unjustified. So from God's perspective, the marriage, the first marriage is still intact. And to marry another, Jesus says, would be adultery. I know there are certain unique, painful situations that are going on in homes right now. Okay? There are challenging situations where maybe there's a question of safety. There's a question of the volatility of what's going on. And there are unique situations where it may make sense to step outside that marriage home for a period of time. But I hope, I hope, you're not just diverting to your feelings in that regard. Our feelings will deceive us. I hope instead, in those unique situations, that you don't navigate those waters on your own. That you're seeking out God's wisdom through prayer, through study, and through the healthy advice of experienced biblical counselors that have gone through and helped other couples in this situation. I hope you're not just deferring to your own unique set of circumstances. Allow others to help. Allow trusted biblical friends to speak truth into your life. I hope, guys, as a church, and I pray that we are profoundly serious about the sacredness of marriage. The world around us is not afraid to trample on this whole concept this whole sacredness of oneness in favor of personal freedom i hope that as followers of christ we look at marriage as that unique creation of god and a visible a visible representation and a portrayal of jesus's love for the church you and i all right because that's really what marriage is you look to Ephesians 5. It's God's visible representation on this earth of His love for you and I. I hope as, we, as we've walked through this, that you find Jesus' words on marriage. I hope you find them refreshing, breathtaking in where you are right now because there is amazing, amazing value in marriage in that connection with that one that you know God puts you together with. I've been with my bride for 24 years. Prior to that, we'd been dating for five. She's my best friend today. And I am so amazingly thankful that God knit us together. You know, am I perfect? Honey, no, no, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination. And guess what? There's no perfect spouse. But God in his amazing wisdom, God's amazing provision is perfect, is absolutely perfect. I hope you found these words from Jesus to be refreshing. Maybe you found them painful. Maybe you found these words from Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce bringing up some challenges that you're walking through right now or some challenges that you have walked through. 
I just want to encourage you, though, that there is no marriage. There is no marriage that is too far gone for God's work. Maybe you feel that you've made a mess of your marriage. And with that feeling comes just some significant weight of regret. Maybe you're the recipient of a mess created by your spouse. Okay? Those are challenging situations. I tell you this, though. Jesus came to clean up that mess. Whether you created it or whether it was created by someone else and you're now the recipient of that. Jesus came to clean up that mess. God's grace, His grace for living is so much greater than our mess. God's grace in our lives is so much greater than the mess that's going on. There is amazing power, guys, in repentance if you have made that mess. In a turning away, a turning back to God. There's amazing power in that repentance. For the challenges that you've created, you are forgiven. What Jesus did on the cross forgave you for that. All of your past, your present, your future sins are forgiven from the shed blood of what Jesus did on the cross. But there's huge value in repentance, a turning away from those ways and a turning back to Christ. Seeking His plan, His purpose for your marriage. And if you're the recipient of that mess, there is huge value in forgiveness. The weight that can be lifted from your shoulders when you forgive that spouse that's hurt you is huge. There's amazing power in forgiveness. If, the past, if a past divorce or the present possibility of a divorce is impacting you today, I pray that, that you will feel and receive beyond that feeling God's comfort. God's amazing strength and His wisdom in how to respond wisely in the situation that you're in. I pray for His miraculous intervention for you right where you are. And I pray that we get to a point in time in realizing we can't do this. We can't live out this view of oneness that God has for us in our own strength. We just can't. God designed it that way. He designed it in such a way where He is that giver of life. He is that giver of abundant life in your marriage. Josh, you want to come back up? These are challenging waters, guys. These are challenging situations that are going on today in real life situations. God's power, God's provision in your marriage right now is an amazing thing. Are you seeking Him? Are you seeking His plan? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Father God, that it becomes alive through the life of Your Son, Jesus. What's even more, Father God, is You lay out this vision, but You don't leave it up to us to figure it out. You provide through your awesome grace, strength, wisdom, and provision to live out moment by moment what you have for each of us. Thank you, Father, for that. In your son's precious name, amen.